The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITO Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes, and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products, and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm a father of twin boys. I'm a college professor, and I've been an endurance athlete for about 30 years. My name is Michelle Frank. I am a mom to three girls. I'm a CPA, and I've been an endurance athlete for less than 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Tell everybody what we're going to be doing next week, Michelle. Next week. So... (laughs) We are super looking forward to having Katie Arnold, who is the author of Running Home, which is the book that we have been reading for our most pleasant exhaustion book club for the last several weeks. Um, She will be a guest on the podcast and we have some listener questions for her. We have some questions of our own 
And we would love for you guys to reach out and let us know if you've enjoyed the book and if you have any questions that we can ask her on behalf of you. So we're super excited about that. Right on. We are super excited about that. Um, Michelle, uh, let me give you double shout outs. Um, so first shout out, Michelle, is for recommending this book. Um, because that, because you said I've read it and maybe, you know, you might actually enjoy it. And I've actually very much enjoyed it. I think it's been a good book. And, and if you haven't read it, and this is for everybody, if you haven't read it, you should pick it up. Um, I was telling Michelle just before we came on air that it has in it almost kind of like the perfect amount of running. Um, when you read it, it's not really a book about running. It's a, it's a memoir written by a runner, but really even the, the pretty much the first half of the book is all about the, her growing up and her relationship with her father, um, who, and he was not a runner. Um, and so now I've gotten to the, the last quarter or so of the book and she's talking a lot more about her ultra running and, and the meaning for her and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's been great. I very much enjoyed it. So, so yeah, shout out to you, number one, for recommending the book. <laughs> I was going to say, if you haven't started it yet, it's a pretty easy read in a week. Um, and it came back, came out on paperback, I think on September 12th. So you should be able to pick it up. I got mine from my paperback. I have a hardback also, but uh, Tall Tales Bookstore in the Toco Hill Shopping Center. So try your small town local bookstore if you want to grab it before next week. Right on, right on. The other shout out I'll give you is for actually reaching out to her and, and convincing her to come onto the podcast. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very much excited about that. Um, she's, a, she's an interesting person. She's a thoughtful person. She's a good writer. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very much excited about that. So thank you for that, Michelle. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, like Michelle said, if you have questions for, if you have comments about the book, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, via email, whatever, however it is you can find us. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and let us know the questions or comments you have about Running Home by Katie Arnold. Um, we're super excited about that. This week, though, we're talking about our races. It's race report week. Is this your first race report on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, Michelle? I mean, I think so. This is, this is my first race of 2020. I think so. Is it? Yeah, no, this is, I mean, there really hasn't been anything to talk about. Um, but this was definitely virtual Boston Marathon. Uh, out on some small town country road in North Carolina by myself for 26.2 miles. So, um, all those pictures at Zap Fitness posts doing their steady state long runs. I mean, I know exactly where they are now. So <laughs> been there, right done on. that. <laughs> right on. All right. So, so, so take us through it a little bit. So, so you had the opportunity to do it anytime from September 4th to September 14th. So it's two weekends from a Friday to a Monday. And, right. and the race had originally been rescheduled to be on Monday, September 14th. Uh, and you did it on Friday, September 11th, right? We did. Okay. Um, yeah, we decided to uh, head up to kind of northwestern North Carolina, hoping for a little bit of cooler weather. Um, there's a, a flat stretch of road, a 10-mile stretch of road in a small town called Todd, North Carolina, which is about 30 minutes from the Boone Blowing Rock area in Zap Fitness's campus. And we took that piece of flat road and um, didn't have the weather we had hoped. The weekend before it was, I don't know, 49 and sunny on that Sunday morning. We got uh, hot and humid, not hot, but it was, you know, mid 60s to low 70s. It wasn't that much of a difference from here. But, um, and we basically just went out there in the morning. Uh, we found a dry 
window. George can tell you all about the rain that weekend in that area when we get to his race report. Um, we dropped kind of water and gels and Powerade and Gatorade at five miles and the 10 mile turnaround. Um, ran an out and back initially kind of three point something miles out and then back and then 10 miles out and back. So uh, it was different <laughs> than anything I've ever done. So, um, but I'm so, glad it <laughs> So, so tell me, and, and so, so the weather you said was, was 65, 70, something like that. Did, did you, did you taper down for it the week before? Did you, did you go into it like a race or did you go into it like a long run or what was your mindset? Yeah. I mean, I had only been running since I had been injured and not running for several weeks for, that was my eighth week. So I don't think we really tapered down much. I think maybe we backed off a little bit two or three days before. Um, but I just went into it as, um, if I could just kind of run easy pace, then if I could run that for 26.2 miles, four hours and just kind of cruise, then I would have been really happy. And I would say that uh, that's basically how it felt the whole time. I mean, I kind of spent 21 miles running what felt like effortless 840 miles. Uh, but I would say the last 10 miles, by the time I, I totally fell apart the last five miles, it just... Mm the sun came around the mountain and it felt like, as we all know how much I love warm weather and the sun beating down <laughs> on me. Um, I was super dehydrated and I just didn't, I didn't realize it because when we started it, it was overcast and it just seemed like the sun wouldn't hit us. But the last 10 miles felt like the sun was beating down on nothing on this earth, but me. Mm. Uh, so by the time I got to five miles left, I mean, I was, I was stopped sweating and it was pretty miserable last five miles. So, but I was still really happy with it. Um, just to be able to go the distance and I wore a new pair of shoes. My feet didn't bother me. I didn't have any chafing. I mean, that's a huge plus <laughs> in any distance run. So, um, yeah, I just wish I had hydrated better. That was not smart. I feel like I could have covered for that, but you know, as you said in a text message, I did, I held it together really well until I fell apart. So, <laughs> so, so, um, and I'm, I'm asking you this question as, as your podcast partner, not as your coach, why didn't you hydrate very well? What do you think was going on? I think we just thought that it was going to be overcast and I wasn't so worried about the sun beating down. And I was like, if it was 65, 70 degrees, then I felt that we carried a handheld. We had enough kind of water at, the places where we were going to stop and quickly get a drink. It's just that, I mean, I even had salt tabs with me. I actually, I don't know that I didn't hydrate well. I literally, I had a pack of salt tabs. I've actually never taken salt tabs before. Um, and I chugged those things after maybe mile 10. I think I started to get a little bit nervous, but I don't think I could get enough fluid in. I mean, whether it was, you know, carrying 18 ounces, it never lasted the full five miles. We only, basically had water and Powerade and gels basically every five miles. Um, and I would say that I just got too far gone. By the time we stopped with five miles left and I took a sip of Gatorade, I mean, I was, I was on the wrong side of the road from where, from where our drinks were. Like I was just, hmm. I don't even know how I kept going then, but I mean, mm -hmm. I know how I kept going, but I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it was just once the sun hit, it was just too much. So, yeah, I, I think I have a theory. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I think that, that, that I think that, that 
between 60 and 70 degrees, it's kind of a twilight zone when it comes to hydration. Um, and I think that, that it's cool enough to where you won't necessarily feel really thirsty, um, but it's warm enough to where if you're putting in a significant effort, either distance wise or, or effort wise, it can yeah. actually be pretty dehydrating. Um, and I, and I, I, that, that, and that, that's, that's based on, on not just what you're talking about. Like I'm not just concocting the theory based on the end of one of what you just described, but I mean, right. I've definitely had some experiences. And I think like last year's Blue Ridge Relay, as a matter of fact, for me, I got really, really, really dehydrated. And that's about what it was. It was about 65 yeah. to 70 degrees. And it's because I didn't feel so thirsty that I was compelled to drink. Um, right. But but yet, because I was putting in a fairly uh, high level of effort, I got de pr pretty significantly dehydrated. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember I went to the bathroom. I mean, we finished at about 1130 and we went over to... Uh, Pete and Zika's house maybe four or five o'clock before we met up with you. That was the first time I had gone to the bathroom since I finished running. And the second time, I think I woke up at 3 a.m. Saturday morning. I mean, I was pretty, I, I, yeah. What can I say? Live and learn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I wonder too, um, I, I also think that, that I remember one time when I was, I was training for an ultra several years ago, an ultra that I ultimately didn't compete in, but, but I remember I went out one day and I did, I had a coach at the time who said, go out and run 34 miles. And I did. Um, and, and, but, but he had told me to do it and I had set up and I like really was diligent about, okay, putting out my drinks and making sure that I was hydrating, fueling well and all that sort of thing. And, and that 34 mile run went really, really, really well. And then like right. two weeks later, he said, okay, now go out and run 28 miles. And I was like, 28 miles, I got this. I ran 34 a couple weeks ago and knocked it out. And right. and, and I kind of treated the 28 miles less seriously and it was rough. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder too, if maybe the way that you went into it with a really relaxed mindset, which I think was good. I'm glad that you went into it with a really relaxed mindset. Um, maybe, maybe that lulled you into not quite taking it as seriously in yeah. terms of, of, of managing your hydration, I mean, that sort of thing. You know, I remember thinking we got behind, I was with Dara who has been on the podcast before. Um, and we wanted to start running at six 30 and I remember is, and we're both really early morning runners. So once we realized we weren't going to be starting till after seven, neither of us were happy that we kind of misjudged the time. But I remember thinking we don't need to drive because we literally had to drive the entire out 10 miles that morning and I was thinking, we don't really need to do this. Like, this is a little bit overkill, but okay, I'll drive out 10 miles to the turnaround, which was a post office in the next town. But man, when I got to 16 miles to that post office and, you know, there was Gatorade left over from Dara because she was, I don't know, a few minutes ahead of me, more than a few minutes. But, um, and there was my, well, I don't actually know how far ahead she was, maybe a mile ahead or something. But um, there was her Gatorade left over, my water, my Powerade Zero, I drank all that. Like I drank, I, <laughs> I took my 20 ounce water bottle and I and took it tasted a great, Powerade didn't it? Zero and then put the hot Powerade Zero in my handheld. Like, so yeah, I probably didn't, like I I was good with the gels. I had, a, I had a five gels and I thought that was overkill, but I think I focused too much on that and not enough on the hydration part. So, but it was really fine. Like it was good. It was I did what I wanted to. So I'm not, yeah, I'm, right I'm not, I would say right. I am 
satisfied. I wish the end hadn't hurt as bad as it hurt. So. Sure. I think that's <laughs> fair. I think that's fair. And and for comparison's sake, you're you're you you qualified at the California International Marathon um, a year and a half ago, um, coming up on two years ago, I guess, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and and you said that you you cruised eight forty pace for the first twenty miles or so. What was your pace at the California International Marathon where you qualified? Like eight minutes, right at eight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, so it's still, so it's still a brisk run for you. It's not like you were just like, you know, plodding your way on through it. Right. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to four hour marathon, even if I'm not trained for a marathon. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I was crazy to think that, but it worked. So I really, really spent significant amount of miles trying to slow down those eight forties to nine minute pace, but I could not, I could not hit nine minute pace. So, um, I don't know what would have happened if I had had a nine minute average instead of an 840 average at mile 21. But yeah, I mean, I think it went from 840 to 930, 948, 958, 1008, 1013, the last mile. So, you know, it was a nice gradual. Um, I like how you, I like how you say it in this sort of uncertain fashion. It might've done this and you're like 1008, 1013, exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, like, like the C, the CPA knows precisely what the split was. But. Yeah, it was, uh, so anyway, but I mean, I think the moral of the story is 26.2 miles is not a small distance to run. So um, agreed. Agreed. It felt good to just run the marathon distance again. I mean, I think when you get away from it for, it's been almost 21 months, the, the lingering, I don't know if I can even run it is horrible. Um, so now just having run it for me is kind of to like a homeostasis of sorts. So I'm happy with it. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because when I think about for you, okay, so you did virtual Boston Marathon. What was the point? What's the big takeaway? I think that's actually, I think that's big what you just said. Um, that that to me feels significant that that you had this sort of uncertainty about the distance and, and you went out and you ran the distance. You're like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. I think that's important. I mean, I want to, I wasn't not nervous, you know? I mean, I know, I, I think there's a difference between not taking it seriously as if it was a real race and you're trying to qualify or run a best time. Um, I was still nervous in the same way, but I wasn't, I didn't feel the pressure maybe is a good way to describe it. I know. What shoes did you wear? You said you wore new shoes. So I actually wore the uh, Saucony, the Endorphin Speeds. Um, I kind of debated between, I have a pair of Vaporfly Next Percents that just sat in my box, sat in its box in my closet, which I would have worn for Boston because I would have really raced Boston. Um, but then thought I don't really need a $250 pair of shoes to just go kind of run a long run. And I had read, well, we're in a running geek running shoe geek group on Facebook. Not that we're running shoe geeks or anything, but um, <laughs> people are crazy about the whole endorphin line, the shift, the speed, the pro. Um, so I decided to not get the pro. It's got a carbon plate in it and the speed is a little bit cheaper and it has a nylon plate in it. And I wore them on one 10 mile run the week before. Thought they felt great. So I figured I would wear them and worst case scenario, I would just change shoes if they were horrible. I mean, there's the clock's running, but it's not, I'm not running against the clock really. So uh, 
they were great. I didn't think about my feet at all, which to me is a sign of a great pair of shoes. Um, and I actually wore them last week. <laughs> I did a virtual 5K. Gosh, that is the stupidest thing I've ever signed up for, by the way. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, so I think they're a great pair of shoes. I'm super excited to to keep putting in some work in them. So highly recommend. Um, and I think the pro, you know, I just didn't feel like $200 on a pair of shoes for a virtual marathon needed to be spent, but I'm sure they're amazing also. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the pro, by the, by the Saucony endorphin pros, which is sort of the, the Saucony response to the, the, yep. the vapor, the Nike vapor fly line. I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. by that, but, but we'll see. It's going to be a little while before I run another marathon um, because marathons aren't totally happening right now. And so they are it's going to be another happening. while before I have a, have a big road marathon. It's going to be next September at the earliest. Um, yeah, it'll so. be really interesting to see what comes out in the spring. You know, what is everyone's next iteration of it? Because it feels like everybody kind of caught up to the 4% and then the next percent. And now it's kind of, are all these shoe brands going to follow the Alpha Fly? that Nike put out, which is a whole different ball game. Um, but I would say almost everybody in the market has, uh, has a shoe with a carbon plate now that can rival the Nike Vaporfly. And I think Saucony did a great job on their shoe. So. Very good. Very good. And you said, so, so how'd you feel afterwards? You said, you said you did a 5k, a virtual 5k last week. So clearly you weren't completely destroyed, right? So a week later or so you, you, you did a virtual 5k, but how do you oh, feel afterwards? You feel beaten up? You feel like you, you race a marathon or what? Yeah. So I think I was immediately afterwards wondering why we had chosen the rooms that were upstairs in the house that we stayed in. <laughs> um, it was pretty painful to just walk up and down those stairs. I would say the rest of Friday, for sure all of Saturday. Um, and then I just took a week off. I didn't run again until the following Sunday. Um, so maybe September 21st. And then... Um, I didn't feel as wrecked as, you know, after a full out effort marathon, but my body was definitely wanted the week off, I would say. Um, I had no desire to run and it definitely took probably about five days to walk downstairs with any noticeable, without any noticeable limp or, you know, my quads are going to buckle underneath me. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was, once I got to the three hour mark, it just felt like the biggest disadvantage I had at that point was time on my feet. I don't really think, I don't think we had run more than two hours and 20 minutes, even getting ready for Boston before we stopped. And even that was six months ago. So I was so far from, you know, a four hour run this, this whole year, but uh, yeah, I was a little sore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you pulled it together and did a virtual 5k. A, 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 a virtual 5k which i'll point out is not all that much different from all the virtual races that i've done that, that i feel like you've given me a hard time about <laughs> yeah so you know i really wanted this trucker hat <laughs> and that's i feel like that sounds really familiar but keep going <laughs> okay the downfall is that the trucker hat when we registered was a different color and style than the one that we actually got it's okay it's all right i've made peace with that um, but I thought, yeah, I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that so well, the differential between a marathon and a 5k less than two weeks later, but in some ways it's kind of good. It, I was kind of right where I thought I might be. I, I mean, it's not, 
it's a little disappointing, but in the same regard, I was kind of right in the middle of, I don't think I should go faster than this and I don't want to go slower than this. And I came down right in the middle, but uh, yeah, I mean, I rallied my friend Matt Grun to meet me at, you know, dark 030. He's not a morning runner, but, uh, and we just went really hard on Calm's drive and 3.1 miles seemed really long, uh, but what what was the race? What was the what was the the what oh, was the sure. virtual five k that you signed up for so you could get a trucker hat again? Emma Coburn's Elk Run. So it's a five k that's run in Crested Butte, and it's only four years old, but it has a great uh, elite kind of contingency when it has run for the few years that it did run when it wasn't virtual, um, which was actually only the first two years. Last year they did it virtual because they were all at Worlds. And then this year, I mean, they were kind of one step ahead of everybody because when COVID canceled all the races, they were already set up for kind of a virtual race. So um, it was fun to, you know, post on Instagram and use the hashtag and see all the other people that did it. So. All right. So what's next, Michelle? The, the the last question that we always ask whenever we talk about race reports, what's next? I mean, that's just the most annoying question everyone's asking right now. So, because you don't know the answer, or because you want to continue to revel in what you've accomplished? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, part of me, I really, I really like my one day a week at Orange Theory. I don't know why. I think I like someone telling me what to do. And although it's very different now, there's only 13 people there at a time. Um, but I also just, I don't know, it's going to be 50 degrees tomorrow morning. I'm trying to figure out how early do I need to get up if I wanted to run 10 miles, which is a little crazy. But um I don't know. I want to run a hundred miles. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Like, you want to run a hundred miles, like a hundred mile race? Yeah. Did you just say that? Cause you know, we're recording this. <laughs> I mean, that's not news to anybody. That's not news to anybody. You're right. Do you think the Leadville 100 is going to happen next year? Are you going to sign up? Or are we going to be training for Leadville? I don't know. Maybe Katie can get me in. Maybe we can talk to her about that next week. I feel a plan coming together. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so, so for we so should we should we should say we should say for everybody who's listening who doesn't know. So, Michelle, I I would say one of your dream races is is the Leadville 100. Is that correct? That is my dream race. Okay, and so 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 if but I wouldn't if, even if, attempt it without I would I would have to like I wouldn't go. I mean, I feel like people from Atlanta either head out there and take a few weeks to get used to the altitude, or they kind of do what my friend Matt did and just show up the day before and just take a chance, hope to survive. Um, I think I'd want to be out there for a while. So I don't know. Yeah. That's the only race that. Yeah. If, if, if the powers that be came to you and said, so Michelle, you can only run one more race in your life, but it can be any race that you want. It would be the level 100. Oh yeah. There's no, I mean, that would, that'd be the easiest question anybody ever asked me. So. Right on. That's a that's a strong statement. I feel you on that one. Do you know what mine is? I mean, no, actually. <laughs> I feel like it's not. I feel like it's a road race somewhere, probably. It's the Comrades Marathon. Yeah. Okay. That's good. You can do that. Why can't you do that? Um, I, I'm 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 working on it. Your wife's a travel agent. Like, what's the problem here? I'm working on it. I'm working. Okay. On it. So we'll see. And and. It, the hundredth one might be next year. Just saying. Because uh, they skipped this year. So no, the hundredth anniversary one. Good point. Uh, okay. 
So, so it was supposed to be next year. Yeah. Ev everything like I tend to plan out my races years in advance. Um, and, and now given the fact that I was supposed to do three big races this year, but two, you know, Berlin was supposed to be this past weekend. Right. Um, I was supposed to do Berlin this past weekend. I was supposed to do Tokyo back in, in February, March. Um, now both of those are kind of laid out over the course of the next two to three years sometimes because I get to defer into those. And that's kind of thrown a little bit of a wrench into my multi-year planning. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that anybody can really make a plan right now. Um, yeah. If Boston opens their registration, I mean, I'll get to re-register. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I, don't, I don't have the rah-rah Boston Marathon. I, I feel, I don't know. But I don't think it's going to happen anyway. So, um, is that yeah. is that in, is that intentional on your part that you you don't have that rah rah Boston Marathon feeling because because you're a big fan of the Boston Marathon. I are, 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 are you are you putting up are you putting up guards? I, I don't know. I, I mean, psychiatric evaluation necessary? I have no idea. I'm just like <laughs> all of a sudden it's just I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. It doesn't make any sense. I know. I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to. No, you know, that's cool. Yeah, hypocrite cool. over here. But uh, I think I would go and I would run it. I don't. It wouldn't. I don't know. You know, one of the one of the things I read today in Katie Arnold's book, in Running Home, um, in in the chapter that I read today, um, she was talking about um, how she's training for a race that's at high altitude, and she is not at high altitude. Right. Um, and she uses the phrase you run where you are. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and she's at 600 feet above sea level, isn't she? When she's talking yeah, about. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but I, I think, I don't know whether she intended this or not, but that to me felt like a really philosophical phrase um, that you run where you are. And it's not necessarily a geographic description. It's, it's all of it. It's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like the, the running equivalent of you play the hand you're dealt, sure. you know? Um, and, and I've been thinking about it all day. <laughs> um, and so, so I, I kind of feel like for you, um, you know, you, you just did virtual Boston. You're not, you know, feeling rah, rah Boston anymore. Um, Leadville's what's firing you up. You run where you are, but this, this will be a conversation that you and I continue. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I can't, let me just get through the October 15th deadline. Um, I vowed to stay up late every single night for two weeks and I made it to 1130 last night and already today I was like, I can't do this more than one night. So it's, it's, it's a tax deadline. Yeah. I mean, it's the year of never ending tax deadline. So, but this is the final big one. So quick segue. I am certain that when you were running your 26 mile race in Todd, North Carolina, alongside the new river, I am sure that the thing that kept you going, particularly as you got dehydrated and particularly as you started slowing down there in the back half was knowing that you need to finish your race so that you could cheer me on the Blue Ridge Relay. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, knowing that I had to see you <laughs> later that same day basically made it impossible to not finish my race. I couldn't think of anything worse than having to answer a text from you and saying, no, I just didn't finish it or no, I didn't feel good or I stopped at 20 miles. So uh, yeah, we made it to cheer you and your team running the Blue Ridge Relay on later that evening. Um, and 
I think we even ran with some of the slower Blue Ridge relay groups along that fateful road in Todd, North Carolina. So it was fun to see some of those first teams come through. And even when we were out there early in the morning and they were setting up the caution runner sign, um, I mean, I, we probably saw 10 cars for over four hours. There was no, there were more cyclists once the sun came up than there were cars. But once the Blue Ridge Relay people started gathering and the signs went up, you sort of just felt a little bit of, I remember Dara was like, the Relay is here. And that was, <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, That's cool. yeah, so, so, so the way the Blue Ridge Relay works is, is they stagger the start at least the way it works in normal years. In normal years, they stagger the start and they start a certain group of people every 30 minutes. Um, and, and they try and set it up to where a fit, eventually everybody's going to be able to finish within about a 10 hour window. And so that means that the fastest teams end up starting last and, and, and the teams that are slower, they end up starting first. And so that's the reason why, why uh, just explain to everybody that, that that's the reason why you say you saw some of the slower teams earlier. Yeah, so so they, they got right. to that place earlier. Yeah. But what it ends up meaning for, for a lot of us, we kind of started actually, um, we were one of the last few teams to start this year, as a matter of fact. Um, but, but uh, what it means for us is that we run by ourselves for a long time and then we kind of eventually sort of catch people and get into the crowd. Yeah. Um, and, and we kind of got into the crowd at about three or 4 a.m. this year. Um, so right around maybe stage 25, 26, something like that is when we really kind of started getting into the crowd and started catching up. And um, how was your weather at three or 4 a.m.? Uh, it was rough, yeah, so so yeah, so Blue Ridge Relay, um, let's talk about it real quick. So I, I was much more eager to, to, to hear about your stuff, but um, I ran seven stages. So we had six people on our team. Our driver ran, ran stage one which is largely a downhill stage. So he ran stage one, checked his name off the side of the van and said, I'm done. Um, and then that left 35 remaining stages for the remaining five of us to do. And so that means that um, our driver slash first runner, Dave ran stage one, and then the remaining five of us each ran seven times. Um, and so over the course of that seven stages, I ran 35.84 miles, according to my Garmin. Um, it was, I averaged 645 pace, um, or it was about 625 for, uh, for the glow, the, uh, the grade normalized pace, according to training peaks, uh, about 3,700 feet of elevation gain, about 2,400 feet of elevation loss. Um, and you'll appreciate this, Michelle. I had seven miles worth of warm up and cool down. <laughs> really? Why would yeah. you do that? So that's that's in addition to the thirty five point eight miles of racing, I had seven miles of warm up and cool down. I um, think that was one of the most interesting things to me when we were waiting at the exchange for you guys were how many people were warming up and cooling down before, you know, they actually restarted their team's clock. Because mm -hmm. you're running thirty five miles. What are you like? Why can't you just get into it when you start running your segment of the race? What do you need to yeah. warm up? I'd say there's two reasons. One is because it's a race. And so, so, you know, just like any other race, you want to, to, when you cross the starting line, you want to be at your race pace. You don't want to, to, to gradually get into your race pace and warm up over the course of the miles, particularly given the fact that some of the legs are pretty short. Um, I mean, seven, I had seven legs and basically it, my legs were about five miles, about 5k, then five miles, five miles, five miles, seven miles, five miles. That's just kind of the way the mind broke down. 
And so if I were to spend a mile of each one of those warming up into the into it, I mean, that's 20% of the race that I'm spending, the actual race, the actual time that I'm spending warming up as opposed to actually racing. Um, and that's not, that's not a good use of time. That's not really maximizing your performance there. Um, the other thing is that by the time you get to stage four and stage five, probably. yeah, you're starting to get pretty stiff. Yeah. Um, and, and so you need to, to move around a little bit and, and, you know, again, I say I did seven miles worth of warming up and cooling down. That's over the course of seven stages. And right. so that's seven warm-ups and cool downs only equaled seven miles. And so we're talking about like three or four minutes. You're yeah. talking about, about about only about a mile total per stage that I did of warming up and cooling down. And so so you're not talking about like, you know, a real rigorous warm-up like I would do before I would go out and do, you know, the Elk Run virtual 5K or something like that. But but yeah, it definitely doing it over the course of, you know, 26 hours, um, over the course of seven stages, you know, that adds up to real mileage by the time you get to the end. <laughs> right. So it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so it went well, I was happy with it. I feel like I paced it really well this year. Um, I, uh, I, I, uh, took a little bit better approach to it. I got super dehydrated last year. Um, yeah. and I was determined not to let that happen this year. And so, I drank a bunch of milk and I drank a bunch of Slayer X and I drank a bunch of Diet Coke and I drank a bunch of water. Um, and, Regular milk? And, white milk? So, uh, chocolate milk. And then when I ran out of that, I drank white milk. So, yeah. I didn't know you drank milk while you ran. I, not, I so, mean you specifically, not the general population. I know chocolate milk is a big, but. Uh, I, I, I have, so I do it for, I used to do it more when I was a triathlete. I, I, I would drink it as a recovery drink, you know? Um, and then I kind of got off the recovery drink bandwagon, um, particularly when I, when I, you know, was no longer a triathlete just because, uh, recovery drinks, I think are a little bit overblown. Um, but again, I mean, if you, if you say, all right, so over the course of that entire 26 hours and after seven legs of drinking, you know, milk and everything else, by the end of it, I drank about three quarts of milk. Yeah, that's legit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you, you also have to consider too that that another thing that in addition to like the recovery drink aspect of it, um, you know, we, you, we, we had talked on this podcast probably two years ago about a study uh, around uh, hydration. And it showed that, that's, that, that skim milk is actually very hydrating, that your body yeah. tends to hold on to more fluid related to it. And so that was obviously very motivating as well. Um, but yeah, so I had about three quarts of milk over the course of the time. I had about 180 ounces of Slayer X um, throughout the course of the entire time. Uh, I had two regular Cokes. I had six Diet Cokes um, throughout the course of the time. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was drinking a bunch, pretty much constantly. <laughs> so we saw you guys, what, about nine hours into the race? Let's see. You started what time, 6.30? Yeah, you saw us about nine you hours into the race. Twelve hours into the race. So, so no, we we could no, we had started about nine. We started at nine twenty-five in the morning. So nine twenty-five. Um, so we saw you nine hours in about. You yeah, you guys were still pretty. You were all pretty happy. When did it? Yeah, we get, were about we were about a third of the way into the race when you saw us. You you, you saw us at stage thirteen, stage twelve right. and thirteen, um, and so yeah, we were still pretty energetic and 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 pretty chipper and all that sort of thing. Um, but as you noted, uh, I was already enacting my recovery protocols in between uh, legs. And so I was wearing my compression socks. I was wearing my special recovery shoes. Um, and, and I was ensuring that, that I was going to be ready for the next leg. 
seems really important that everyone sees a picture of these recovery socks and these recovery shoes. I think this is how <laughs> we're going to announce this week's podcast. This is the only picture appropriate to to show everybody how important George's recovery socks and shoes are. Rather than being a screenshot of the two of us talking on Zoom this week, it's going to be oh, yeah. it's going to be a picture on Instagram of of me wearing uh, my recovery socks and my and my special recovery shoes. I mean, one hundred percent. Like, there's there's just nothing else that it should be. Well, so so we should say there's nothing special about my recovery socks. It's just a pair of straight straight up compression CEP sure. socks. Nobody pulls knee socks way up over their knees. To their knees. Everybody pulls like them to the their knees. That's the reason why they call them knee socks. No, you had them like. Okay, I had I had them pulled up to my knees, but for some reason, CEP socks, they tend to go over my knee. And I don't know why that is. And so I had it pulled up to my knee, but I had it folded down. And you and Dara and y'all's whole little crew made fun of me because I had folded them down. And you were because also you can see the brown label. leather Alfani shoes and you looked Those are my special recovery oh. shoes. I mean, they have real recovery shoes like UFOs and Hoka makes a pair and Saucony even has like a whole thing with Chaco now. And you have dress shoes for recovery shoes. I know, I know. So here's so here's how that came about. So so over the course of the last few years, I found that so I that, that pair of dress shoes, which by the way, I have no idea how you know that they're a brand Alfani, but but I'm just gonna go with that. Um, and so which is which is like the Macy's house brand. Um, and so I bought those I shoes. I what'd you say? Am I wrong about the brand? No, you're right. I don't yeah, know no, how you know that though. Um, so I so I bought those shoes to be in one of my best friend's weddings back in 2006. Um, and you're 14. And so, so so I, so I bought those shoes in 2006, right? Um, and then I wore them kind of sparingly from time to time over the course of the next 10 years. But what I found is that when I would go for a long run, uh, and my Achilles would bother me, if I happened to wear those shoes like for the rest of the day like I would go to work after the run, like my Achilles just felt better. And, and, and I felt better wearing those shoes. And over time, you know, I kind of kept experimenting with it. And I realized that, no, there actually was a direct correlation between my feeling better, my Achilles feeling better uh, post run and wearing those shoes. And so I just decided to embrace it and I made them directly into my recovery shoes. And now, of course, they're worn out enough and they have holes in the bottom and all that sort of thing that I don't wear them as dress shoes anymore. Um, and so they're, they're only, they're merely my recovery shoes now. Uh, and granted, I look absolutely ridiculous, but it was worse for me. So Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so here's what's funny. So, so two years ago, or not two years ago, in 2019, um, when I ran the, the, uh, the 10 by 5k, the, the Peyton, the run for Peyton 10 by 5k in Mount Pleasant with a lot of the same people who are on my Blue Ridge Relay team, um, I wore, I was wearing those at the finish. And so, you know, we, we did all the, the, the 10 5k's, you know, one at the top of every hour, and then they have the award ceremony and, and we get done and I put on my recovery socks and I put on my, my, my shoes and they had all seen them the, the year before at the Blue Ridge Relay. Um, and so for them, they, they thought it was funny, but it's just sort of what I do. And they knew that, but I finished second in that race. And so they call me up and I'm getting my award and I'm taking my, my, they're taking my <laughs> picture and I'm sitting there and the crowd is kind of sitting there and all of them are like pointing at him and they're like whispering to the person, is he wearing, what's he got on his feet? <laughs> yeah. It's um, but, but, I, but I think it's a, I think it's a combination of, of a couple of things. I think one, they, they have a higher heel. 
Um, and so, so that heel kind of kind of takes some of the stress off my Achilles. I think two, they have a really, really wide toe box. And so I think that, that my toes are able to spread a little bit better when I'm wearing those shoes. And then three, they have an arch support in them, but it's not a huge arch support. And so I think all the, the, those three things together, they just feel good. And, and they fit right such that they're not sliding off my feet like a pair of flip-flops would be. Um, but they're also not like so tight that they're, they're you know, hurting my feet. So, so they just, they just kind of happen to check a lot of boxes that all the, the specific recovery shoes, you know, check very expressly. These just kind of accidentally check that box as well. And so I mean, there is a to do it. emotional attachment to these shoes. Oh, for sure. Oh, I, I definitely own it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll admit to that. Yeah. I definitely own it. I thought it was funny that you took a picture of me and, and posted on Facebook and you had never actually seen it before. Unfortunately in that picture that you posted me, I was not wearing a mask as I should have been because I was just so excited to see all of y'all. And I was wearing a mask for virtually the entire rest of the, uh, the 26 hours that we were out on that course. Um, unlike some other people on the course, um, and, and yet the moment they got memorialized forever is me not wearing a mask, but that was Sorry about kind of the that. way things go. That's not your fault. It's my fault, but that's kind of the way things go. Um, so actually that, that gives me a chance to mention the safety protocols real quick, because that's obviously something we want to talk about and something that we have talked about before on this podcast, but, um, something that very much, uh, influenced the, the feel of the race for all of us. And so, um, one of the safety protocols, probably the most significant safety protocol, the one that made the biggest difference was that they uh, reduced the number of teams from about 200 down to about 60. Um, and that meant that there was fewer people out on the course when we were out on the course. Um, but more than that, there was just fewer people, fewer vans in the exchange zones when we were there. Um, there are times in the Blue Ridge Relay over the course of the past couple of years when you would go to an exchange zone and you like literally can't find a place to park and there's just white vans as far as the eye can see. Um, and that wasn't the situation this time. Um, there was a lot fewer vans and a lot fewer people in all of the exchange zones just because there's a lot of fewer teams overall. And so I thought that was a good change and, and that definitely increased the safety. Um, there's also masking. You were supposed to run in wearing your mask, um, supposed to run out of the exchange zone wearing your mask. Um, anytime you passed a runner, you're supposed to be wearing your mask. And those weren't enforced very well. Um, and, and by the time we got towards the end of the race, um, we were one of the few teams that I felt like was still consistently wearing masks. Um, and so that was, that was um, disturbing um, and upsetting. Um, and we actually I made an effort to try and like park farther away from other teams and stuff like that uh, in the latter half of the race. Um, we also, as a team, since we were in a van and in, a, in tight quarters, um, we also as a team all agreed um, to take a COVID test in the few days leading up to the race. Um, and we all tested negative, of course. Um, and so we felt comfortable being with one another um, and, and we were safe because we, we had all tested negative. Um, and so that was part of what we did as well. So I, I did want to mention those real quick because like I said, I mean, that was obviously a big part of the race for us. But anyway, but anyway, the race went well, pouring torrential downpour in the middle yeah, of the night. So that was my question is if you guys were pretty happy nine and a half hours in i mean your your friends were joking and they introduced themselves like when did it get bad i mean i okay, know so I so let's let's let's, let's by the, the way let's 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 mention real quick my friends introducing themselves one of them specifically introduced himself to you and said that he likes you because you give me a hard time on the podcast yeah he's my favorite <laughs> for sure that's gps eric 
That's GPS, Eric. That's Eric Hall, who was actually on the podcast last year talking about GPS. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So shout out to him. Thanks for that, Eric. Um, also, the driver was like, "Hey, I'm that driver that you." you know, <laughs> on the podcast. I was like, "Hi, buddy." That's right. That's right. Um, so, so very good. Uh, but they were all glad to meet you. And actually, I was thinking about this today, Michelle. That's so. I consider you somebody that I'm close to. Um, and, and I've spent a lot of time with you on this podcast via Zoom over the course of the past six months since the lockdown occurred. Is that the only time I've seen you in person since March? Um, no. Remember that fateful day in June? The 10K on the track, right. So this, is the, this is, so this is the only the second time I've seen you in person over the course of the past six months. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, how, who else have you seen in person? There's no, nobody, what's... I know, and, that, and that's, but that's, but I, but I was just kind of thinking about that today and I was thinking oh, about yeah. how there, there's a lot of people that I've become very close to during the lockdown um, because I spent a lot of time with them on Zoom. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, but you know, I don't, I don't tend to see a whole lot of people in person. That's particularly true since my family's been out of the country for two months and I'm just sitting in my house by myself. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but anyway, um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So about, let's see, I, it was actually, it was actually really soon after we saw you. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so and yeah, we, so, so leg 13 or leg 14 left from where we saw you from the pool. Um, okay. Yeah, and so 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 leg fourteen left from the exchange zone where we hung out with you and, and with Peter Ray and with Dara and with and with the rest of your crew, um, and leg fifteen is the longest leg of the race, and it started pouring rain during that, and then leg sixteen and seventeen it backed off a little bit, and then maybe around leg eighteen or nineteen, literally we're driving along, and and. I've never gone from no rain to that hard of a rain so quickly. Yeah. Um, like all of us literally thought we had driven under a tree and the tree had just like dropped rain on us because that's how quickly it started pouring rain. And it poured, poured, poured rain for about the next three hours nonstop. Um, and, then it, and then it was on and off for the remainder of the race. When you're doing that and you're the runner and you're finishing and you're sopping wet. Yeah. Are you getting in the van as fast as you can, or are you figuring out a place to like dry off for a minute, change your clothes and not make everything that's dry in the van sopping wet just because you want to get out of the rain? Like, how does that work? Both. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that we had a, a uniform approach to it. Um, the, the, it depended I'd be so on pissed if people got in the van soaking wet, man, I so, lose but, but, but it wasn't, so, I mean, we have the van set up so that, that somebody could get in the van totally sweaty. And so we have like a particular seat and in that one particular seat is where the person who just finished their leg always sits and that seat right. is covered in plastic. Yeah. And that so, was so, the captain's chair by the door or something, right? Right. Exactly. Um, and so we call it the swamp seat. Um, and so, so, so we, we have that seat already set up and so getting into that seat when you're sopping wet from the rain, that's, that, that's only slightly different from getting into it when you're sopping wet from sweating. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just, just the amount of water. And did the van smell by the end? Like, um, not as bad as I would have thought it was going to. Interesting. Um, but yeah. I ended up having, so of, of my seven legs, I ended up having two that were kind of overcast and one where it poured rain on me. Yeah. Um, and so we're just straight up poured rain on me. And that um, was the middle of the night, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but then one of our people, Brian, um, 
of his seven legs, five of them were in the rain. Yeah. Which is just horrible. Yeah, I mean, it rained all day Saturday. It was really hard just hanging out in a mountain cabin with the rain yeah. coming down on the roof. You know, we yeah. felt really bad for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and by feeling really bad for us, you mean you just made fun of Salat? <laughs> uh, we were just sitting on the couches all day being so thankful that we weren't out there running like you were. So, but yeah, sure. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. All right. So that's how it went for me. I was actually very happy with it. I, uh, my, my seventh and final leg, I was nervous about. It was um, leg 33. It's about a five and a half mile um, stretch and it has the steepest hill in the entire race right in the middle of that leg. Um, and it's a, about a mile long hill that has pitches up to 14 and 15%. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it was tough. And then you go down the other side and it has downhills of 12, 13, 14%. Um, and, and, and it actually went well though. Um, so between hydrating well and pacing myself well throughout, I was, I was very happy with how the whole thing turned out for me. So, so you guys had your time estimation down mm -hmm. to the pretty much the minute. What was your overall, like, what did you estimate you would finish at and what did you actually finish at? And what we place missed, did you come in? So we came in, I think 15th place. Okay. We were second in our division. Um, which is the ultra, the ultra masters division. Um, so we were second in our division. Um, and, and we were about 15th overall out of about 60 teams. Um, and so that's pretty good. We were in the top 25%. Um, How and much so you what'd you say? How much did you lose by? A couple hours. You mean like oh. from, from the winners, a couple hours? Well, no, you were second in your division. About an hour. Oh. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the team that, the team that won our division solid, you know, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, they beat us by a full hour. We had, um, we struggled, I think as a team collectively in the back part of the race, we struggled. Um, I think three of our five runners were really, really had issues around cramping and vomiting and things like that. Um, and so, so we actually struggled a lot in the, in, in the back half of the race. Um, and this took a lot of guts for us to, to keep going and finish. Um, and, and so this was a good performance for us, even though I think there's a lot of things we could take away and, and improve next year. Um, because, because as a team, we didn't necessarily do quite as well as we probably could have in the, in the back half of the race. So next year's a go. Oh yeah. Next year's a definitely a go. In fact, the, the five of us, not the driver, but the five of us have, have, have already committed to, we all signed up for, um, the 10 by 5k in March which is almost exactly six months after the Blue Ridge Relay. And so we is all signed up for that. that. Everybody runs consistently for the next year. So, <laughs> so yes. And so, so, so we've all signed up for that. And then the driver is going to come too. He's not going to run, but he's going to come. Um, and, uh, and then, um, and then we're all committed for next year as well. So uh, the six of us that did it this year are committed for next year as well. And we're, we're, we're dabbling with, and we're, we're, we're having ongoing discussion about whether we can find a sixth person because it's it's a six person division, and so can we so find a sixth six person so that so that we can all do six legs? But we'll see. What'd you say? So you would get a sixth runner and keep the driver the driver, so you'd have right. seven in total. Right. So why doesn't what's the driver's name again? I'm Dave, go. your boy. So why doesn't he want to run? Like, He's not a runner. He's not a runner. Oh. <laughs>
He can, he can, he, he, he actually did. He did great. He was like, uh, we said, we said, Dave, can you run four downhill miles? He said, yes, I can. And we said, how fast can you run? He said about eight thirty pace. We said, okay. And he did eight, he did like eight twenty four pace. He did almost exactly what he said he was going to do, which is, is what you want wanting to do. How does yeah. he stay awake driving all night? Like that's also hard. He's pretty hardcore. What He's a want? badass. He clearly has skills that, that, that one needs to be a crew <laughs> driver for an ultra event. That, 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 that is a talent in and of itself. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so yeah. All right, Michelle, final words. Read running home, ask us questions about it. We'll ask Katie next week on our podcast. And we didn't mention this when we kind of started with this, but she is a previous, uh, she did win the Leadville 100 a few years ago. So right. seems like we would have mentioned that, that she, she actually won, won your bucket list race, yeah. that she, she won the one race that small, you would do. Small detail. Um, yeah. There's a lot, the book is, I, I hate to use that as a lead in because you could read that whole book and almost know nothing about her Leadville win. It doesn't, it's an unbelievable accomplishment, but in a way it's really not, it, it's not kind of, what the memoir is about. So um, I, and, I'm deep into the book and she hadn't even talked about it. Oh, she, well, yeah. I mean, it's not even in her mind yet at the part yeah. that you're at. So right. um, yeah, I mean, I'm reading it for the third time right now. So and uh, pick it up, read a copy and join us next week and let us know if you have questions. So right on, right on. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week with Katie Arnold. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash performance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx, that's the number four, here4slayerx on Instagram at here4slayrx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.